All right, welcome to the Peyton Years, your home for Oregon State men's basketball, the only podcast in existence dedicated solely to Oregon State men's basketball, maybe not forever. As always, I'm your host, Andy, and I'm here with my friend, Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing fantastic, Andy. You know, as we sit down and we record this on a, on a Monday evening, I think the, the zeitgeist as a collective is, is recovering uh, from obviously a very momentous thing, and now, now it's the reaction period. Everyone's talking about it, rehashing it. I'm, of course, referring to the Beavers' three-point win over USC Saturday afternoon. I... I, I would be lying if I, I am a human. I'm a little bit jealous because you're still basking in your after Gil glow. I did not get to join you to be in person, but what a magical game to watch nonetheless. A truly fantastic college basketball game. Yeah, it was a beautiful, the win of the year. People are shocked. I checked the Reddit page. It had 15 comments on it which for the game, which is huge for an Oregon State men's basketball game. Yes, 12 out of the 15 were UCLA fans. Uh, punking on USC for losing to yeah, Oregon State. Yeah, not even State. USC fans. Um, but still, great to see nonetheless. Yes, I am basking in my after Gil glow. Yes, it was an amazing game to see. Yes, I got a free night light-up necklace as I walked in. I knew we were destined for victory at that point. We'll get into all of it and the UCLA game. But most importantly, the USC game. But first, as always, the Oregon State fight song. Turn it up a little bit. We've talked about like how we 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 want to be able to host the the fan night that kicks off the season in the exhibition game. I would also like to know who I need to talk to about getting to bang the cymbals once for, uh, in in the band during a basketball game. Just once, and you know my mom volunteers a lot with Make a Wish, so I think we can pull some strings. Right. It, I exactly. I'm not asking for the world. I just want one good one. All right. So let's jump into it. Um, do you want to talk about the UCLA game first and just get it out of the way? Let's just get it out of the way. Okay. Um, Oregon State lost to UCLA 62-47 to on uh, Thursday. I, if I'm in complete transparency, did not watch the game. I was busy myself watching my JV2 team get completely manhandled by a very impressive mountainside JV2 team. Shout out to them. They are probably the best JV2 team I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, they could be a JV1 team. <laughs> um, they probably so, would beat a lot in the state of Oregon, it sounds like. It's, it, it feels that way. When you're watching them up close, it feels that way. But we'll talk about the other powerhouse that was in town, UCLA basketball. Sam, give me a rundown of the game. Well, I mean, a, a lot of uh, the same offensive woes rearing their ugly heads again. The biggest difference maker for UCLA was, was their freshman, Amari Bailey. He was 10 of 16. Only played 26 minutes and had 24 points. He was everywhere. How much did Mick Cronin yell at him? Could you tell yes. that from the TV? And and to look at Mick Cronin, he was 0 of 5 with five turnovers. Just a joyless, joyless exhibition on the, the sideline from Mick Cronin. He's he's not as insufferable. He's, of course, not even in the same league as Bobby Hurley, but he does have a similar ability to take no joy in anything that's in front of him. Um, yeah, regardless of circumstance. He's got a real wartime feel. You, you'd feel like Mick Cronin was coaching during World War II. Like, he's just concerned about bigger things. Yes, like he made the decision to leave some men behind to die because it was best for the greater good. That that weighs on a person. Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Amari Bailey. Um, 
when I was looking at the stats, I saw that he went off, and that bodes for the Oregon State. Um, that bodes for the Oregon State uh, race for Pac-12 freshman of the year because Jordan Pope, he didn't have a bad game by any means. I mean, he's averaging 15 points over his last five games, so he's kind of figuring out how to deal with all the defenses are throwing at him. He had 17 points. I didn't see the game. How did it feel in the Jordan uh, Pope versus Amari Bailey, just one-on-one comparison? Because those are kind of the front runners with the USC center for freshman of the year. Yeah, Bailey had a little better game Thursday, but I, I think that the fact that Jordan, Jordan Pope was 7-14, to 14, he had a very good game. He should get freshman of the week again because of how well he played against USC. I think he he's got got it locked down in my opinion, but Bailey, if, I mean, there's still a lot of games left five, there's a ton that's going to happen. So um, I do think Bailey's still got a shot at it because Beaver bias, as we know, is very, very real. It's very, very real. Um, what else stood out to you from the game? Well, I mean, uh, just the four assists as a team, that is, uh, <laughs> I think we're going to talk about it more during the, the USC game, but a word that we haven't used enough this season to describe this team when they're playing well is rock fight. And uh, unfortunately, UCLA is fucking down to get in a rock fight. They play for Mick Cronin. They're fine with that. You got to assume that sometimes those players show up to practice and there are literally rocks in the gym. Yeah, and they know what that means. Pick one up and throw one at the biggest guy in the gym. Uh, honestly, I mean, similar to the, the Colorado game on the road and some of the other ugly offensive performances, obviously, but uh, on the defensive side – of the floor. Um, some very encouraging things. I thought that Tyler Bilodeau went toe to toe with Jaime Hawkins and it was a lot of very encouraging things, especially when you remember Jaime Hawkins is almost five years older than him. Yeah. They held him to seven points. I mean, they only had two guys in, in, in double figures. It's upsetting, uh, you know, that, that they didn't shoot a little better cause they could have kept it a closer game and maybe had a, a chance at a miracle. At the end, I will say the officiating was was terrible, especially at the end of the first half. They, in consecutive possessions, gave Regandella a foul on what was a clean block that led to two of Amari Bailey's points. I I believe it might have been Jalen Clark. It doesn't matter. It was a clean block, and then the the subsequent possession they called an out of bounds when Glenn Taylor hit a corner three, and he wasn't out of bounds and. Um, I, we have our sources, you know, we had boots on the ground right. and had listeners down there. And I was told that Wayne, you know, we won't confirm this, but allegedly he told one of the officials to use your fucking eyes and was not given a technical, which probably suggested they knew they made a shitty call. And uh, that was a big five point swing right before halftime that it should have been like an eight point game at halftime. And instead they were down 13. Yeah, it sounds like just a lot of things went wrong. I mean, they did shoot 100% from the free throw line, so that's a positive take. 10 for 10. That's huge, especially in a game when you're struggling from the field like that. Probably should have had a few more free throws, I'll say that as well. Yeah, but you're just not going to win a game where you have four assists and 18 turnovers. No, and uh, I, as again, we're, you know, I, I'm looking forward to jumping ahead to the USC game, but uh, – the, the biggest issue with their offense isn't necessarily the poor shooting. It's that they don't always take care of the ball. And the, the pressure from UCLA was tough. Um, and they're a great team. They're up to number four in the AP poll. So people yeah. are really – I think UCLA is primed to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament if things bounce their way. They'll be very, very hard to beat. I'm, I'm all for it. But, hey, I, I'll also say I hope they get another shot out of 
in Vegas come Pac-12 tournament time because that's going to mean that they beat somebody to get there. That's right. Um, okay, well, anything else you want to cover from the UCLA game? Um, no. And, no, and, there is not. <laughs> yeah, and I just I just want to, you know, add that this, the center on the JV2 team for Mountainside was 6-6. So just think about that. 6-6 six, six in high school at, at the third lowest level of a high school program. That doesn't seem quite fair no, to it, me either. No, it's it, a lot to overcome. Yeah, so we, everyone was taking it on all fronts on Thursday. And that's good because we were giving it on all fronts on Saturday. Um, let's talk about the Oregon State, the win of the season over USC. I call it the win of the season because people are calling it the death blow for the USC season. Takes them out of contention to win the Pac-12 uh, outright. Definitely puts them on the outside of the bubble looking in for the NCAA tournament. They're going to have to finish strong this year to prove that that was a fluke. Uh, what do you thought from the game? Oregon State won 61-58. What's the inside? Well, and again, I've already used the phrase, but uh, uh, an absolute rock fight. Imagine just a great college basketball game if you love college basketball. I mean, absent of a bunch of shot making because both teams shot just a little over 30 uh, percent. 87 total rebounds. And yeah, <laughs> USC grabbed 47 of them, but... If we get 40 rebounds in a game, we're going to be very, very difficult to beat. I don't care who they're going against. Yeah, and there were plenty of rebounds to go to go around because, like you said, USC shot 32% from the field. Oregon State shot 31%. Um, they did go 28% from the three-point line, six for 21, which was good, great even compared to USC's 7% at 1 for 14. Just a, a rock fight, a true rock fight. A true rock fight, and it's all relative when it comes to shooting percentages in this young, beautiful Oregon State men's basketball team. Uh, if Oregon State can hold everyone to shooting at 30% from the field, that's the type of game that they thrive in, because that's right around where Oregon State's going to shoot. That typically is about what they they put up. I mean, in the the biggest difference offensively wasn't that they, they shot it a ton better. It was just that... um. They, they only turned it over eight times as opposed to 18. And when they take care of that, you know, that's a big component of a right. It, it was a five assist to eight turnover ratio instead of the four assist to 18. So they cut down on the turnovers for sure. Yes. And I'll even go as far as to say that the st statistician should have awarded them another assist <laughs> or two. It happens. It's just a little beaver bias. I'm not going to point out the specific example. I could if I wanted to. I'm just not going to right now. We want to leave it up to the listener because I'm sure if you're anything like me and Sam, you're thinking the one example, there were seven or eight times. Exactly. Um, but they are. I do think that it leans into kind of like the new, not necessarily the new offense, but it definitely seems more drive and kick oriented. A lot of dribble handoffs into one-on-one -on -one isolation, which is good because before at the start of the season, you saw kind of more of a traditional power set with posts trying to post up and just kind of holding the ball and wings holding the ball on one side as they try to do an entry pass. A lot more movement, If it, even though it's not necessarily passing based, the offense does seem to have a little bit better flow. I agree. And I mean, uh, we should mention Glenn Taylor Jr. was fantastic. And, and a lot of the side to side handoff is what's creating him driving lanes to do that. So give credit to the offense where it's due. Yeah, Glenn Taylor Jr., I'm glad you brought him up because I was thinking about him before we started the pod. He had 18 points, 10 rebounds. He led the way for Oregon State in both rebounds and points. Most of those points came in the second half, just putting his head down, going downhill. His last double-double came against Colorado in the win over Colorado. I think if you look back at the season, you kind of like pick out the games that Oregon State has won or done really well in. 
he is the key, especially with Jordan Pope kind of settling in and establishing himself as the number one scorer and turning into a consistent scorer at that, especially in these last five or six games. When Glenn Taylor Jr., who was a first-team uh, all-freshman last year in the Pac-12, when he produces at a high level and is very aggressive and going at the rim, getting his rebounds, putting his name out there, making his presence felt, they're a completely different team. And I think going forward, I'm really looking at him, honing on him as the key kind of like we've been talking about who's the second star going to be for this team, who's going to be the other guy to take some of the pressure off Pope. I think it's going to be uh, GT. I agree. Um, yeah, all, pretty much everything he did was at the rim. I Looking at comments on Twitter and people were saying they wished that they would make an effort to get it into the post more, but that, I mean – they're not specifying that it has to be by dumping it to Andela or a or Reevney or whoever it is. I mean, I think the best way for them to get the ball to the post is for Taylor to put it on the floor and get into the paint himself. And, and we saw that against USC Peterson couldn't guard him. He, I mean, he's, he's an underrated matchup problem. No, he's there early in the season in the non-conference. You saw him just try and get it, put his head down and get to the rim every single time. And we kind of talked like, will this work when he gets to the Pac-12 and he's around like more elite athletes and defenders? And the answer is yes. He's, his game translates at all levels. And he's not pressing the way he was early in the season when I think he, he recognized that he was the best returning player and needed to, you know, improve and, and take on a bigger role consistently and now he, he's finding those those driving lanes and not forcing things as much and and he's cooking people again like drew peterson yeah and drew peterson i mean he had an interesting game he had 11 points eight rebounds two assists so he was tied uh for the lead on their team in rebounds i'm kind of surprised he didn't have more than assists it seems just watching the game that he was really kind of setting up the flow of the offense and making a lot of nice drop-off passes but not nearly as aggressive on offense as we've seen him in the past. Not really looking for his own shot, kind of dropping off. Seemed a little disengaged. Going into the game, I was a little worried because USC was coming off just a throb. I don't know. I don't know. A throbbing? Not a throbbing. A, throttling. A throttling. Yeah, I'm trying to think. They were coming off a throttling at U of O where they lost by 18 points. I kind of thought, okay, they're going to be fired up. They're going to be angry. It's going to be a statement game against Oregon State. And it feels like. I don't know if there's a rift in the team or something, but they seem disengaged kind of going out. So I wonder what's going on behind the scenes in their locker room. Very dysfunctional. Shades of Arizona State. I mean, not to the same extreme level, but yes, the, the, uh, disengaged is a very fair word. I think Andy Enfield, as he often does around this time of year, is kind of losing a very talented team <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah, the, the roll the ball strategy kind of runs out in about two thirds of the way through, unless you've got Evan Mobley on your team. Right. He yeah, he's and Iwachukwu is very, very good. If he'd played this whole season, he's not as good as Evan Mobley, but he would have similar college numbers to him. Yeah, Vincent Iwachuku is the five star, uh six eleven, seven foot freshman for Arizona or not for Arizona State for USC. He's been out for most of the season. He's come back in the last five or six games. He led the uh, way for USC with 19.7 rebounds. He was very impressive. Casey Abekwe had no idea what to do with a player that tall and fast. He's, <laughs> Casey had never seen a player with arms as long as him, and it threw him through and, the loop. And also very quick and much more just adept. And right, right now, at this point in their basketball lives, he's much more skilled. A very important game for KC's development because at the next level, that's what they're like. I, uh, I'm, <laughs> We're I'm talking fine. next level with Casey Beckley. Yes. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. It's be and it's because of moments like Saturday. Um, he still had Steve three blocks. Shoot. Still swatted three shots, each one of them more beautiful than the last, especially 
the Kobe Johnson one. We discussed this off pod, and I want to bring it up on pod. Uh, two things about Casey Ebekwe. One is that we need someone to crunch the numbers, look at the tape, however you're going to do it. But I need a metric to uh, decide average um, amount of height on a jump for a player when they block a shot. Because I don't – I think Casey Beckway has jumped maybe three times this entire season. Definitely none on a block. He's still <laughs> averaging like three blocks a game in the last like six or seven. He's going off, but he never jumps. He's got to lead the country in most blocks for least amount of air time. There, there's a still shot. I think it's on the the – just the team Instagram where he's blocking Kobe Johnson shot and his heels are flat against the ground. Like he's not even on his tiptoes. It's truly insane. We've talked about this off air and I think we should bring it up because just, we love Casey Beckway, King of the city. He's a very fun. He's a very college basketball player. And what we love about him, or at least I do, we've been talking about the possibility that Casey Beckway is in a, some sort of, Big like scenario, big obviously the '90s movie with Tom Hanks about a young child who has turned into an adult. You didn't need to specify that's what you were talking about, but yes, obviously that's what Andy's referring to. We think Casey Beckway. There's a solid chance he might be in a big situation where he was like a short ten-year-old who was getting bullied by the twelve-year-olds on the basketball court. He finds his way to a magic machine, <laughs> uh, magic it's fortune teller. It's not even really plugged in. It's not even really plugged in. He tells them, I wish I were big. And he wakes up the next morning, 6'11", 300 pounds. Because he, he truly plays like a guy who woke up being a giant like a week ago. With a 7'9 wingspan all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Bumping his head as he walks through doorways. Yeah, I got to imagine he does things. that all the time. Yeah. Uh, just so lovable. The most effective 0 for 9 <laughs> from the field I've ever seen. And, and uh, he yes, he did miss every shot he took from the field. But he hits – I think he was three of five from the free throw line, but more importantly, a lot of his misses led to Glenn Taylor putbacks because he's so large that I mean, USC was almost kind of daring them to dump it to him and then surrounding him with four guys. And yeah, he did miss every shot, but it left him out of position for some for some putbacks. He really is such an entertaining player because it's like he was missing these shots. And again, they were like shots that like a 10-year-old kid would take for the first time he's playing. Like he's getting bumped. They're on their one hand, kind of hook shot. Like he's like – he's one foot, yeah. He's really learning the game as he goes. And I I just thought it was so funny. Up close when I was watching the game, He his first – he got called for a foul the first play of the game. Not first play, but very early on for an illegal screen. And he's running down the court, and Wayne is saying – demonstrating physically how to set a screen on the sidelines. He's yelling, Casey – Hands down, like this, like this. And it wasn't an angry scream. It was a, I've got to teach this kid right. what a scream is. <laughs> I can't be subtle about it either. We're doing this in live time. Remember, Casey, this is a scream. This is a scream. So he's entertaining. I am down the rabbit hole with you. I think if he stays at Oregon State, by the time he's a junior, he will be an all-conference player. And he will be a, he will be a, a 14 and 9 type of guy. I, I'm flying the K, the KC flag. King of the city, King of Corvallis. That's his new name. This this one was so encouraging because it was a great win. It solidifies the fact that Wayne Tinkle owns Andy Infield. Yes, I meant to say that at this point in the conversation. It, sh it should have been a sweep of USC this year. They People forget that USC beat Oregon State by one point on some very terrible officiating. Yes, we'll, we put a lot of games on the officiating but it's all true um but this game really highlights i think not only the excitement i have for the future of this season the last five games going to the pac-12 tournament but if they can keep this group together the next two or three years like i think next year and the year after you're looking at a possible tournament team maybe if they hold these guys together as a junior 
through their junior years for two more years, you're looking at possibly a nationally ranked team if people keep developing at this rate. It's it's very exciting. I mean, yeah, the potential, not of course with Ibekwe and Pope, but also Retai and Bilodeau to me as well is, 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 you know, it's off the charts. Oh, and people forget how young Glenn Taylor Jr. is. He's, he's a true sophomore. A true I know sophomore. it seems like a gray beard on this team, but yeah. Like, you'll be able to te- keep this team together, these group of guys, with the exception of, like, Reevney and Andela and R.I.P. Scholl, who was back at the game. Scholl is boot. still there, yes. <laughs> he's in a boot. Um, you'll be able to keep this group together for a long time, potentially, like, all the way through. And it has the vibes of, like, a classic college team that gets better as the season goes along. I'm excited to see where their cap ranks out. They're going to be a very gritty group. Very well, I mean, they kind of already are, but they they're already are. soon. Yeah, they're, they're the tough kids who, like, get sent to, like, the <laughs> – it's like they got sent to juvenile hall, but as like a young kid, and they've had to grow up there. And by the time they've been in, when they're 16 and the new kids come in, they'll be grizzled, tough veterans. Yeah, ready to stuff some kids in lockers. Exactly. Um, anything else you want to cover from the USD game? Again, a true rock fight. I mean, a beautiful basketball game. I I do. I wanted to shout. Uh, I'm I'm for this starting lineup of Retai, Taylor, Abekwe, Pope, and then Christian Wright. Oh, I'm glad you brought up Christian Wright starting because he started the last two games and he doesn't necessarily have a strong presence if you just look at the box score. Uh, like against USC, he had two points, one rebound. But he does do a good job of not turning the ball over. Just a real like – he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, which on this team is very important. It is very important. I mean, he deserves, uh, I think, a good chunk of the credit for them only having eight as a team. He did have a huge block shot. He's a good. A he's a very momentum. good defender. Very good defender. Right. And, I mean, along, it allows – he was supposed to be the starting point guard and Pope point guard going, you know, into game one before he got hurt in Italy. And it's allowing Pope to play off the ball more. He took 14 shots two games in a row, uh, made seven against UCLA, six against USC. But he was fantastic, and it, it just makes the team better all around. Yeah, and it's kind of more of like a modern offense when you get Glenn Taylor Jr., Pope, and Wright out there because that's three guards, three guys who can handle the ball. Um, Christian Wright is a really good defender. He can take the, the point of attack and kind of give some release some pressure on Pope. And, yeah, like you said, the off-ball stuff for Pope has been really good, allowing him to kind of focus on scoring or being, like, the first option. And I think it's really opened up his passing, just everything, having that extra ball handle out there. And Christian Wright, one thing that I do, do think he brings is a certain sense of confidence because uh, he's from the SEC. He played at Georgia, like, and he got a lot of minutes. He started games over there. So he knows he's just as good as these Pac-12 teams. He probably has a little bit of Pac-12 bias coming from the SEC. He probably thinks he's better than the other players. And I think that rubs off – on the other uh, guys in Oregon State and gives them a collective confidence that they maybe lack when he's not on the floor. Another guy who's just a sophomore and kind of plays beyond his years in a lot of situations, Yeah, I think. Dexter Cano um, had a good, like, solid six points in a row. His only points of the game, but he came in, hit a three. That, a hell of a six-point hell, six hell of a six points. Hit a three, then had a tremendous and one. Um, he's – Clearly, like, kind of fallen out of the rotation as much as he was at the start. But I think he honestly provides a great value as a six-man to this team coming in and being aggressive, being a stud athlete, being a great defender. Speaking of great defenders, he was really playing well against USC's guards, um, did a great job on Boogie Ellis. And Peterson. He locked him down several possessions, too. Um, I guess – oh, and the one thing I also wanted to bring up, uh, this has nothing to do with Oregon State players, but Harrison Hornry – who is the player that 
Oregon State famously owns. I meant to bring him up on the pre on the preview of this, but he's the guy that Deshaun Davis yes. dunked on earlier. He's the man who got dunked on super hard by Akano in their game previous this year. Like just anytime he plays Oregon State, he gets dunked, he gets dunked on, on they so lose. hard. Um he played one minute this game, and it was at the very end of the game for their last shot. They put him on because he's a decent shooter. But I want to tip my cap to Andy Enfield for realizing that because he plays more than that normally. He's not like he gets a ton of minutes, but he gets more than one minute a game. So I want to shout out Andy Enfield for realizing that Oregon State owns Harrison Hornery. We have his number and kind of taking him out of that situation. Yeah, he did not trust his bench much at all Saturday. They only had three bench points as a team. And yeah, part of it because you know he usually gets some threes up too. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, anything else from the USC game? We should we should uh, shout out Dimitri Rivni. I mean, he hit three of four threes. They probably don't win if he doesn't hit those. His yeah. shots coming along. I mean, he's he's kind of fallen back into twenty three minutes. I mean, that's that's a lot more than he had been getting uh, recently. And uh, you know, I'm for it. He hit some shots at the end of the UCLA game, and and so that yeah, someone's got to do that in. No, I'm glad you brought up Reveny too. We should highlight him. I speaking of like the collective confidence that Christian Wright brings from his experience, I think Reveny brings a lot of that too. He always feels very kind of calm and collected when he's on the floor. He looks for a shot really well. Very steady. Very steady. Just a smart player. And I think he really also he's not as much of a driver. So you lose kind of like that third guard when he's in there. But he's a good rebounder. He makes good passes. And if he shoots like this, he does add a lot. And he's settling into like kind of like he was a start at the start of the season, which kind of surprised us just with how he left the San Francisco program. But a great sixth, seventh man, great role player. And yeah, able to provide some of the same things that Ritai and Billado do just in terms of size and potential to space the floor. So you don't really lose that when one of them comes off. Turning into somewhat of a deeper front court. Yeah, I think he fell behind those guys in minutes mostly just to oversimplify it because of rebounding. But um if they're going to be struggling to do that regardless, you might as well have a guy who's a bigger threat to hit some threes out there. And so I'm I'm for all of them getting minutes. They only played nine guys in this game. No crass. Uh Jaden Stevens had been hurt. He was available and didn't play and Rochelin still hurt. So Interesting to see the rotation tighten up a little bit. Yeah, which is something Wayne honestly hasn't really done a lot in the last couple of years. He's had kind of a more free-flowing rotation. Um, I guess during like the tournament run, you kind of like dialed it in. But yeah, so it's good to see him kind of get a reins on what he thinks the team is and what he thinks people's roles are. And people are kind of buying it. And I I'm, I remain hopeful that guys like Crass might have opportunities over these final five games and going into the conference tournament too. Definitely. We'll talk about the five games coming up here because Oregon State enters a very exciting stretch. But really quickly, just on our way out, I do want to highlight this was the biggest win of the season for Oregon State. USC is a top four team that the Pac-12. They were a Ken Palm top 50 team. They were high in the net. They were poised to be in the NCAA tournament. This is a very tough loss for them. And I think it speaks to Wayne Tinkle as a coach, and I know he was kind of not necessarily on the hot seat, but people were looking at his job potentially at the start of this year. And I think that he's done a really good job with these freshmen. I think the USC win definitely solidifies that this was maybe not like outwardly a successful season if you just look at the numbers, uh, but in terms of growth and development and what people kind of expected going in, it's hitting all the marks. I think he's doing everything you want to see in a coach that you want at your program. It's it's this was a huge building block win. I think a signature win, if you want to call it. I mean, the dash Nick Dashell's right up covered, you know, a lot of the same points that, that you just, just made. Um, but I think in, in the more interim, it has, has me very excited about what the rest of this season could bring because they're, 
developing a very cool identity. I mean, it's not always pretty offensively, but it almost never is. We have faith that the shot making will continue and get better, but they hang their hat on defense. They 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 play in rock fights and they're becoming a, a tough out. A very tough out. Um and I just want to point this out. Let's talk about the last five games coming up. We'll preview Oregon State is taking on the Washington schools, Washington State on Thursday, Washington on Saturday, in Seattle, in Pullman. We will be in the Seattle for the Washington game. I think we're undefeated in conference games. I believe so. Yeah. So that bodes well for us. But Oregon State sits on the precipice of what could be a six-game win streak to end the season because you beat USC. You're and then, call it, That's what or is that what you're setting up? That's what I'm setting up because you beat USC. You get that signature win. Sign me up. Now I'm going to read you the last five games Oregon State has. Yeah. At Washington State, at Washington, U of O at home, Stanford at home, and then they end with Cal at home. All very winnable. I mean, we're going to focus on the Washington schools, but it does have me. I'm literally rubbing my hands. I mean, this is setting up to be a run as they continue to get better. Those are all teams that they either have beaten already or are definitely capable of. Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, if they win out, they could finish eighth in the Pac-12 which I believe is where I predicted them in our preseason. Wow. Well, I mean, we we've, we've hit on a lot of our predictions. Not some of mine have fallen flat at this point. Yeah. Listeners have noticed that we've stopped talking about Portland state. Well, I was going to bring them up in a little bit. We'll bring them up in shout outs. Yes. Of course. Of course. They're not going away. People know what we're talking about already, but we'll still talk about it. Yes. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's break down the, the upcoming games. Okay, so they take on Washington State on Thursday. To me, this is by far the harder game. Washington State just coming off a win over Washington. I think Washington State might be my favorite team outside of Oregon State in the Pac-12 this year. Very fun to watch. Muhammad Gay is a true stud. He's very agile. He's the 6'11 center for them. Got some guard skills. They've got some of the best shooters in the conference. They're the best redheaded basketball player we've seen since Dante DiVincenzo. They've got Noah Williams talking – or no, not anymore – um, I was going to say they have Noah Williams talking trash to them, but that's because they just beat yes. uh, Washington. But coming along, yeah, they hate Noah Williams. They've got uh, what's his name? Um, who's the small forward coming into his own? DJ Rodman? Yeah, not DJ Rodman. He's the power forward. Who's the the really slick guy? Yakamovsky. Are you talking about Powell? You're, I'm, how are you not naming any Bamba? Oh, TJ Bamba. Yes, TJ Bamba is better than all the, the, the best the, player on their the team. Prospect. Yeah, they, yes. They've got the classic Washington State random NBA draft prospect. Probably two, because I think you can factor Muhammad Gay into that. I bet he does well in workouts. Just a really strong team. What are you looking for? I, I mean, a team that uh, their talent is better than their record would indicate. They've had some very, very close losses, or this would be kind of a different season for them. They're they're really good. They've beaten Arizona. Muhammad Gay and TJ Bomber are both probably NBA players. They have a lot of dudes that look like you would make them in 2K, as you pointed out when we were watching part of their game. Yeah, they're 2K generated the team for sure. Um, but they're drought prone. I mean, there's a reason that they've only won one more game than the Beavers too. They're very streaky and they lack a solid point guard. I think that's the one thing that's really holding them back is they don't have an elite ball handler who can get them into sets and keep things flowing when the game gets tight down to the end. And if they're hitting shots and it kind of honestly goes through Muhammad Gay, he turns into their playmaker a lot in the half court. 
but they lack an elite ball handler. Yeah, they if if they had a guy like Bonton or Flowers who they had last year, they'd be at NCAA tournament. Too. I think even if they had Noah Williams, they just really lack really? that star player. Not even a star player, but just the steadying hand from their point guard spot. Uh, no offense to Justin Powell. Yes, um, although now offense intended to Justin Powell, we're calling you out specifically and. I, for that reason, think this could potentially be a very big game for Pope. I know that's not exactly going out on a limb with the way he's playing lately. Yeah, I predict Pope will lead the team in scoring. They, Whoever they put on him, I mean, it's not that they don't have guys that can guard him, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a pain in the ass for him. They don't have an obvious matchup for him. And if Bomba's going to guard him, then that, that's an opportunity for Taylor or even Econo to score on somebody else. Yeah, it'll be an interesting game because I think it can go one of two ways because Washington State is a very wild team, and they can get hot in a hurry, and they can, as Arizona learned earlier this year, they can go off. So it can't go that way and turn to a shootout, but they also are a team because they lack that point guard depth who is susceptible to a rock fight. And if Absolutely. you get them in a rock fight, I don't think they're going to know what to do. No, they're not comfortable winning games where you have three more turnovers than assists. We are. We can do that. Those kinds of things. And and I I, I obviously also the the Muhammad Gay matchup is is going to be a challenge. I I'm curious to see if it's a Beckway that guards them. Well, or Beck- if it's Billado slash Retai slash Reevney. A Beckway will definitely see some minutes on him, and I think that'll be really interesting because it's kind of like the polar opposite of a Beckway. It's like, what if you were... <laughs> Much like it would shoot blue. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what if you were a guard who was 6'11"? <laughs> right, and very, very quick and good at dribbling. It, it's going to be a challenge, but also... Mohamed Gay himself is prone to just making terrible decisions and trying to take over a game, even though he's not really that level. He's a type of player who's really good, but he doesn't know his own lane or role and tends to overextend himself. And I think that's really where they get in a lot of trouble. Right. I mean, he's a great shot blocker, but he just tries to swat everything. And he's very thin. So there's going to be chances for big king of the city to go get him sealed in the post and get some easy baskets. And he's going to finish more of them than he did last game. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's uh, move on to the Washington school, Washington team that we'll see play in sat- Saturday in person. Uh, Washington will probably – they're coming off a four-game losing streak right now, having lost to Arizona, UCLA, Arizona State, and USC, and Washington State. Oh, so I guess, yeah, four-game losing streak. They'll play the Ducks, so hopefully that turns into a five-game losing streak before the Beavers come in. What are you looking for against Washington? Well, they're, they're, I mean – they're inter- I was thinking about this today that it, it, they're kind of interesting in that they took a very, very different route than Washington State to having kind of a similarly disappointing <laughs> underachieving season for the talent they have. They were my preseason pick for the surprise team just because uh, but when Ketnang went down all that they lost a lot of that size. I mean, they're still big up front and. I don't know. I I don't understand why they're not better, frankly. Hopkins probably deserves some of that blame. Hopkins is getting fired at the end of this year. Yes, it seems like they want Will Conroy to be their head coach. And And they should. He's got Lorenzo Romar vibes. I bet he brings the Seattle Hoopers in. Well, and like I, we've seen their assistant coaches like fighting with each other during timeouts and such. I mean, it's a, it's a dysfunctional group, very likely. I mean, but, uh, 
Nonetheless, they're very dangerous. Keon Brooks went to Kentucky for a reason. He's averaging 18 points a game. I didn't realize it was that much. No, he's been really good. He's been on kind of a tear in the last five games, although he had a step back against uh, Washington State in their last loss, but that's mostly because of foul trouble. But yeah, he's been really been going off. Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can keep him from having a big game, that goes a long ways. He's their kind of catalyst. But they've got a lot of guys that are fun to watch. I love Keon Manyfield. I like Bajima. They're both, you know, quick, athletic perimeter guys and Mie is potentially a an NBA center at some point. Yeah, Mie is who I kind of uh key in on and he wasn't available when Oregon State played them in Wash or played them earlier in the year for their first one against Washington. This could be the first team that they sweep in the Pac-12. Um he's a very very athletic 7-foot center who runs and plays very hard. So he can jump very high. He kind of reminds you of the Texas centers that they used to get all the time when they had Shaka Smart, where it's like, who's the most athletic seven-foot guy we can get? And let's he just does. throw him alley-oops. I mean, maybe it's the hair too, but he does remind you of Jared Allen. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be interesting in the post because he's definitely taller and faster than any of the Oregon State guard or any of the Oregon State post players. And that can be true said for like most of the teams in the Pac-12, though. It's a very center-friendly year this year in the Pac-12. Um so, yeah, interesting to see what he does. He's kind of who I'm keen on as the X factor for Washington. And yeah. also Noah Williams because, you know, he has a tendency to just go off when he plays the Beavers. Yeah, he's averaging just under 10. They've got four guys, five guys that average around nine points a game, and any one of them on a given night can go off. They're very inconsistent, though. Bajima, Manyfield, Ketnang, Mie, P.J. Fuller, even Jamal Bay. I mean, those are all guys that have scored – their career highs are all probably close to 20 points. They just don't do it on a game-to-game -game basis. Weird team. Yeah, weird team for sure. And, and always, we're predicting a two-game sweep. We're obviously predicting a two-game sweep of the Washington schools. I'm very excited to – this will be your my second, your first trip, I believe, right, to Alaska Airlines. Yeah, I've Arena. never seen a, a Washington game before. I'm excited. It feels like being in an airport. I mean, it's an impressive building. There's no comparison between it and legendary Gil Coliseum. I don't even know if I'm going to bother having a hot dog. I definitely am. You're, are you going to do it for to, for comparison? For say? comparison. For comparison. For for scientific purposes only. Sure. I mean, we'll all get a look at yours. They're, they they do sell beers in there, which obviously Gil does now, but it's, it'll be nice to get a, a blue moon or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Any shout-outs or close-ups on our way out? I, I have them. Um, We'll, let, we'll talk about Portland State in a second. We want to shout out a good friend of the podcast. We've, we've given him a shout out before. Lee the Stinger Pierce doing his lawyer thing out in New York. He was quick to point out that against UCLA, a beautiful silver lining to the loss was that the Beavers had one of the more impressive backdoor covers you'll find all season, a 7-0 run to end the game to uh, lose by 15. They were plus 15 and a half in that game. And I'm quite confident in asserting that, that our good friend Lee won a couple of, couple of extra tokens on that one. So hopefully you took your lady friend out with them, Lee, but I assume you're just going to gamble more with it. Well, you got to reinvest what you make. But yeah, I mean, he's a good listener, a good friend of ours, and, and always finding those silver linings. Yeah, we appreciate you, Lee. Um, then I want to shout out Marla, who gave us cookies. Most uh, importantly, most yes. importantly, we like Lee. We love Lee, but yeah, more importantly. Yeah, I want to shout out Marla, who gave us cookies at the game. They are delicious. We've already eaten several of them. So thank you so much, Marla. They're great. You're the best. They, you, We love you, Marla. I, I was 
already bummed I couldn't make it a, a very busy day. I, of course, watched the game. But when I found out Marlo was there, it was, it was another level of disappointment. But we'll be seeing you soon. Seeing you soon. Um, okay, and then last shout-out. Let's talk about the Portland State game. Let's talk about Isaiah Johnson's <laughs> moment, That the perfect moment for Isaiah. Yeah, I mean, like, that was the craziest. Saturday overall, we should briefly talk about the Mississippi Valley State game. Too. Yeah, let's talk about One that. of the craziest Saturdays of college basketball I've been privy to in quite some time. I didn't get to catch as much of it outside the Beaver game as I would have liked, but just – why it's the best sport. We saw it Saturday. Yeah, so Portland State, just to fill you in in case you didn't see the highlights, they've really been making the rounds. But Portland State was down by one point. There was like 0.4 seconds seconds left on the clock. They throw a full-court inbounds pass. Isaiah Johnson catches it and kind of alley-oop bank shots, a 15-foot shot with someone guarding him. And just the most impressive display of athletics. You always knew he was a good athlete, and he's showing it out there. It, it's If that was like the climactic scene in a movie, I'd be like, that's stupid. They could have just done something that will actually happen. You know, that it was just so incredible. It really was. One of the best shots I've ever seen. And just, it's, it, just very indicative of the way that Portland State team yeah, plays. And solid- they always fight. They always fight to the very end. We'll, we'll never back off. We'll have to get that Vikings, uh, the guy who runs the Big Sky blog on here, and grill him about the Portland State season. He'd probably be frustrated at how – what fans we are of them if he watches them play game to game. But, yeah, I will not back off my assertion that they will be very dangerous in Boise them Big Sky Tournament time. Yeah, we can't let that go. And then uh, let's talk just briefly about Mississippi Valley, our new favorite college basketball team. I think America's favorite. They've got two hilarious commentators. First off, best commentators (laughs) I've seen hands down ever. I I feel like they're so young. I'm like, do you guys – Go to the school here. I, like, what I is think the they deal? probably do or recently? Yeah, did. yeah. Are you like seniors in the communication department? But they're so good. They're actually pretty knowledgeable about basketball. Make some good assertions. And then one of the things that we also liked about the game is obviously it was close, clutch, clutch buckets. But also a cheerleader for Mississippi Valley came on the floor and attacked a player for the other team and got they had to call security and get her ejected during the game. They had to call a second round of security because he initially was not going to leave for the one guy. And, and yeah, I mean, just, just absolute chaos. I mean, I, those two gentlemen's lives change overnight. That big things are coming to them. I will be finding their game tonight. I think it's probably almost over. Yeah, we'll stream. We'll put some of that on just to see how that comes out. But, yeah, that's a very entertaining team. Talk about having a culture. Absolutely, yeah. And that's where it starts. And Mississippi Valley is typically – known as a team that loses almost all their games for a variety. It's, it's a, it's a program with the deck stacked against it. And, and so they did lose their game <laughs> Saturday, but they gained a lot of fans, including you and I. And so I'm excited to see what they can do with their stretch run. That's right. Yeah. They've got a real culture over there and we're buying in and we've got a culture over here too. And our bedrock culture is this one founding principle. Fuck the ducks. Fuck the ducks. All right. Go bees forever. See y'all very soon.